Welcome. This is Bleacher Blums, a sports podcast for baseball fans. Now here's Dave Tuttle and the Astros' master of banter, Blummer. How come every opening we always have you singing about being in the cloud as you show off your your badass turtleneck? What did you what do you got there, buddy? You're showing I, off some new swag. Yep, new swag on our website. Uh, you know, uh, <laughs> just brain uh, uh, Crush City Tees, mm-hmm. right? That's what it is. Crush City Tees. This is a gator. G a i t e r. Gator. Not like Florida Gators, but this is my Gator, and this is my new attire when I go to Costco or Target or anywhere else. They nice that they asked me to wear a mask. This is all good, and uh, and as a matter of fact, our, our lovely friend Marco over at uh, Crush City Tees said, "Tuttle, please wear this on the podcast because you know who will be jealous? This guy, Blumzilla. So now you're gonna have to harass him and see if he can uh, swing some Gators know, by the house." Well, you know, it's funny you actually bring up Mark, and I'm, you look great in that, by the way, and I love the self-promotion is off the charts, and it's good to see that you are Zooming today during this podcast, which is outstanding, but, uh, you know, we had a couple of email exchanges with Mark, and it's because I've had a, a friends, family, and fans have actually been asking about the hats. Uh, the hats have been going really good, and I'm actually noticing that people have had them long enough now. That they're they're sending me pictures, you know, like when uh, spring training, you get that fresh new hat, and all of a sudden those salt rings start to creep down. I especially remember it in college and watching the College World Series. Is that all those guys always have? They, they will not change a hat. They're yeah. going to keep that hat on, and it's going to be you know the cow bearer on top, and it's just going to have a sweat ring up to the crown, and eventually you've got crystallizations right on top of the hat. But people have sent me pictures of their hats getting a little beat down during this heat wave that we're in out here in Houston for the next six months, it feels like. And we're going to try and get some new colors, man. I think we should throw out a black one. I want to throw a camouflage one out there because we're always trying to honor the military, first responders, and people like that. But, man, maybe the Gator will make an appearance because of all these lockdowns in California. Governor Abbott's talking about it here in Houston. It's mandatory mask bill that we live in now, and that's pretty clutch, man. Well, similar to what you said too, it looks good on me though, right? Is the line? I mean, Tuttle Always. looks way Tuttle looks way better with his face half covered, right? That's what my <laughs> friends tell me. That's what you know. No, on tap is brought to you by uh, Saint Arnold, and the reason I'm hesitating is because I need my paper because I know I forgot to talk about Bryson DeChambeau last podcast. As I'm listening and watching to our podcast last week, I just I was blown up DeChambeau, and here I went. Hmm. And completely forgot about bringing him into the conversation. So we'll talk a little bit about him. Major League Baseball is having issues with testing and they're playing exhibition games. We'll talk a little bit about that. And then we'll talk about stuff. Because I hope Tuttle brought a little bit of thunder today because I am lacking severely. The only cool thing I'm going to tell you about in my, in my theater is, so that's a uh, Hoosiers uh, movie poster that's actually signed by uh, Gene Hackman and Dennis Hopper. And then if you can see it, that's Caddyshack signed by Chevy Chase and Bill Murray. And as cool as those are, the prize possession is right there. That is a drum head from Sam Loeffler, who is the drummer for Chevelle. And a couple of buddies of mine went down in Anaheim and watched Chevelle at a concert. And then we got backstage and actually uh, got to hang out with him a little bit. And Sam blew up a drum head and gave it to me. So he autographed that. So that's one of my bigger prize, more Ooh. pleasurable uh, 
artifacts that I have. I'm not a big memorabilia collector. I don't know if you are, Tuttle, but I don't have bats hanging around the room. I, I have my jerseys hanging up. Nobody else's. I have a couple of signed baseballs, but uh, that one right there I couldn't pass up on, man. Yeah, I showed you my Michael Jordan signed baseball. I, I couldn't pass yeah. that up. And I think what you said is more, I think that's more up my alley. I, uh, I, the Caddyshack poster is awesome. I mean, you would think, hey, Bill Murray and Chevy Chase, you know, two of the most famous guys on the planet and things that we grew up watching and enjoying. Uh, same, with, uh, same with Hoosiers. Like everybody knows Gene Hackman and Dennis Hopper. Those are great. But when you have these personal kind of attachments and connections, okay. I know you had the Chevelle song as your walk-up song. And I mean, most people listening to this podcast may know the band, but they certainly don't know Sam <laughs> Loeffler. And uh, is that right? Is that his name yeah, right? you're exactly Sam right now. There you go. Um, I have a buddy in, uh, in uh, Laguna Beach. He does contract work. And uh, <clears throat> we've gone to Foo Fighters concerts a bunch of times. And he was standing out working on one of his projects. And Taylor Hawkins is from Laguna Beach. And Taylor Hawkins and his wife walked up. And they're like, oh, is, is this your project? Yeah. Is this your project? And he goes, yeah, yeah, it's mine. He goes, oh, well, uh, give us your business card. We're shopping for a house in Laguna Beach. And we might need some work done on it. And so he's like, developed a relationship of course they still haven't bought a house and this is like four years ago they're like nah, we don't like that one we want this one but to your point i mean that's a much more personal connection and that trumps all memorabilia especially for my buddy yeah. or myself you know meeting you know guys that you uh kind of have an affinity for or a connection to regardless of what their level of fame is yeah and isn't it crazy you kind of you develop this following and you like them you love their music you hear a couple of interviews like okay they seem like decent dudes and then you meet them and you're like are they going to be as cool as I think they are? And then all, you know, all of a sudden these guys were Sam, Sam was one of the better dudes. We've seen three or four of their concerts and we actually saw them two years ago here in Houston through a friend. And uh, we got to go backstage and hang out with them again. And Sam was just cool as hell. He was talking motorcycles. He's talking drums. He's just a, just a great dude. So it's been a lot of fun, but that is always the worry for me, you know, whether it be an athlete, celebrity musician is okay. I've got this idea of who I want you to be because you're so good at what you do. And I enjoy your work that gosh, you better be cool when I meet you because it's going to break my heart, man. Yeah, no, I think that's a really, I mean, that's kind of the pressure we put on, I guess our expectations, but also the pressure yeah. we put on people that we end up uh, admiring, whether you admire them for a, from afar or whether you get to meet them. And I think, uh, I think you hit the nail on the head. I mean, I think it's nice when they, I guess, meet the expectations. I think this is kind of an analogy and we've talked about on the podcast before. It's, I, I don't like telling people how funny a movie is going to be like, Oh man, <laughs> no, yeah. you got to watch this movie. It's the funniest movie you've ever yes. seen. And then, Oh, you know, it just, it just falls flat because your expectations get there. And I think that it's almost to your point, like uh, better to meet them, you know, at the grocery store and some random <laughs> circumstance and, yeah. you know, just have a, a, a normal interaction because uh, because the expectations are a little less uh, severe, I guess, or pressurized. Yep, and we're developing that pressure ourselves because we have now <laughs> we now have on air personalities through the podcast, which is doing extremely well. We appreciate everybody who goes to iTunes, rates, subscribes, reviews, tell your friends, pass it on. It's it's actually a lot of fun for me to watch. Actually, download and or I well I download it, then I upload it onto the internet and get it out there for uh, production, but. It's a lot of fun for me to check back a couple hours later and see that huge spike that everybody's downloading and, and listening to it. So I greatly appreciate all the fans that are able to do that. And then on the video side, through the social Nostra network on YouTube, 
You can subscribe, rate, review, thumbs up, thumbs down, leave a comment, whatever you want to do. Be nice about it, please. And then uh, you can uh, subscribe on that. It's been going extremely well, too. I'm actually kind of surprised how the viewership kind of has gone up. Uh, do you feel any extra pressure on yourself? Because you're already good on the audio side. Now, like you said, we got to present ourselves a little bit better on the video side. But are you having fun since we made that transition over to the video side at all? I am. And as you can see, I think I just beat the, uh, I just got another haircut, which it looks like it's going to be the oh, I'm last... in a couple of days, man. Yeah. But we shut down in California again. We're going backwards. So I have a buddy who is going to get his haircut like tomorrow and he got hosed. So for sure, I feel the pressure. I got my haircut, trying to comb my hair, <laughs> trying to look good. I think to your point too, what social Nostra has done for us, the video side is I think people connect with us more, but I also think what's kind of cool is, um, I saw on Twitter this last week as we start hitting like Saturday night, Sunday night, Social Noster starts uh, pumping up the show a little bit and talking about what's on tap and where it's going to come from. And we had people like, I, I can't find the podcast. Where is it? Where is it? And we have to bad. say, hey, yeah, but it's great. We're like, hey, it's not uploaded yet. Like yep. it's coming, but it's not here yet. And so we have, um, you know, the audience listening and waiting with bated breath for the uh, for the podcast to drop. And I think that's when it's a sign of, um, maybe some expectations and some uh, enjoyment that I'm getting out of it. And I think you already yeah. touched on the fact that you're a TV personality and that's one of the, <laughs> well, you didn't say that, but I mean, in terms of the podcast, you have a little presence, especially there in Houston. It's new to me, but, uh, but I've enjoyed it. I feel like it's just a conversation between two fellows and we have a lot in common and, uh, and it's, it's been great. It has been a lot of fun. But we're going to move on a little bit now and talk about the PGA because we got to, unless you want to talk about something else. Is there anything else you want to talk about? Because I mean, the P, I, ha, I feel obligated to Bryson DeChambeau because I sold him short last podcast. But it's also because I am reaching for topics right now. <laughs> I'm kind of in that lull, maybe that calm before the storm. Uh, maybe we hit on Major League Baseball right now because that's what's ramping up. On the, I mean, it's this time next week, the next podcast we do. We'll be leading into that season where hopefully it, t it gets going and takes off. I mean, there's going to be a lot of things, a lot of moving parts, obviously, in between. We, uh, here in Houston, we saw, uh, I think it was George Springer, didn't get a test result back. This can't happen during the season, man. I mean, are you still concerned about this? Because I am shocked, and I feel like every day I wake up, I'm going, I go, I, you know, you go to the Twitter machine, you're like, oh, my gosh, what's going to happen? Are they going to be, actually be able to pull this off? What's going on? And – then you're disappointed, man. I'm tired of being disappointed. Is that just where we're at now? I don't, I don't know the answer to that. And I will say, just let's remember to touch on the PGA because I do have some thoughts about them playing without the fans there versus yeah. playing with the fans. And we'll get to that. And that's live sports. So maybe that will be a, a little level of intrigue for our listeners. But uh, to get to the MLB thing, I think it's funny because I think next week, We'll be on the runway, man. We'll be taxiing at that point. Right now, we got on the plane. We put our luggage in the overhead. And they're like, uh, sorry, we got a little mechanical issue. And the guys are going to come on the plane. I mean, I feel like that's where we are. We've probably been there for like two or three weeks. But, I mean, we're sitting <laughs> we're sitting in there kind of going, all right, we're waiting for the captain to get on and go, uh, sorry, folks. I, uh going to have a little delay here. There's a light on and I can't seem to get off. And so the mechanics are, and, and we're just like, all right. So that's us. So definitely, like you said, the Springer thing, I saw Russell, Russell Westbrook tested positive. Yeah, we talked NBA last bubble, week. Man. We talked about that bubble. And so does he get in the bubble, out of the bubble? How long has he A couple of guys broke the bubble too. Did you see that? 
I did. A couple of guys yeah. broke the bubble. So, and that was Damian Lillard said, they're going to break the bubble. These are young. 100% he's guys. right. The third day in. <laughs> third day in. So I just, I mean, yeah. I mean, the anticipation's killing us, but uh, we, I mean, it's nice to say, hey, next week we're going to be on the, we're going to be taxiing down the runway ready for liftoff. But I mean, I guess ultimately we don't know that just like we don't know, you know, what tomorrow is going to bring in anything. Yeah. And exhibition games are, are starting to happen. There's been some scheduling. The, the Astros are going to go to Kansas City and play against the Kansas City Royals. And I think they're, they're going to play – Kansas City Royals are going to play the St. Louis Cardinals. I'm not sure where because I could care less about that. I'm just worried about what the Astros are doing. Um, and I will say quickly that AT&T Sports will not be broadcasting those two exhibition games, I'm sorry to say. But uh, I don't, I'm not going to let too much out of the bag. But just stay tuned because in this day and age, there's other ways to get the game to the people. So just stay tuned. That's all I'm going to say. Teaser. Um, but Yep, it is a teaser because there's a lot of moving parts like we talk about. Even on the baseball side, there's a lot of moving parts on the, uh, on the broadcast side. I know that radio is going to broadcast those two games. So if you're looking for the Astros-Royals game, go to radio. Uh, Sports Talk 790, I believe, is going to carry it. And then just kind of keep your, you know, keep your peripheral open because there might be something sneaking in on that peripheral that uh, you might actually be able to see that game from an Astros angle. I'm just saying. But uh, the baseball is happening. It's only going to be two games, Monday, Tuesday. But my question right now, and the first thing that popped into my head when I heard about the exhibition games and the Astros being the team that travels, and, you know, it, the way scheduling works with pitchers is you don't want to get them off their routine. I know Tuttle can talk to this, but you don't want to get guys off their routine, especially starters, because you want to go every fifth day, get that routine going, ramp those innings up, ramp those pitches up. And it falls on a Zach Granke day where he should be pitching on one of those two days. Now, my question is, how many regulars are the Astros going to risk going to Kansas City with in a preseason game? Because don't you – I mean, how do you weigh that? I mean, I don't I, – I would imagine that Major League Baseball isn't saying you've got to play with, you know, 70% of your roster or whatever the number is in a normal spring training game because this is so unique and so risky to do – for a preseason game, I'm wondering if Zach Greinke makes the trip. Is Altuve, Springer, Correa, Bregman, how many of those guys are going to go? And, man, that's a lot to think about, man. I guess it just depends on what the goal of the uh, of the game is or these two what is games. because the yeah. they're Right. So is the goal to get these guys ready to play on Friday when the season actually kicks off? Because the difference, and we've talked about this question. on the podcast, is in spring training, it's like, I mean, that, those six weeks are pretty long when you're in, you know, Arizona or in Florida and, you know, you can miss a start. Yeah. Yeah. You can miss a start and you're only going to throw two innings this day. And, you know, they try and get the, like you said, the big guys, the the number one, two, three starters, you know, so they don't have to travel on a bus. You know, you don't have to go two hours on a bus (laughs) and sit over here. And, you know, I mean, as much as pitchers like to golf, I was never that guy. It was like, all right, we're going to Kissimmee. You're on the back of the bus and you're going to throw the eighth inning. You're like, thanks for that. So, I mean, it really, yeah, right. You come in the seventh inning and relieve whoever. That's right. Yep. Great. Thanks. And so you had to go on every trip and had to caddy. Yep. Had to caddy. And so, you know, I felt like that as a bullpen pitcher, especially in spring training, if it fell on your day, you were a caddy as well. But I, I guess, to me, I haven't done enough research and haven't figured out. I mean, I might think they should put all 50 guys on the plane or 50 out of the 60 guys, I don't know, and mm-hmm. take them all and keep them in the hotel and kind of create their own bubble. It's a chartered flight. It's this, it's that, and and just keep them, 
you know, kind of in their routine. It's not that long of a flight, I wouldn't think. What, two hours maybe? Tops. Maybe, yeah. It's nice yeah. when it's in the central. Yeah, and they're flying. So, I, I mean, it's a great question. I just think, you know, if you're starting the season on Friday <laughs> and it's Monday, Tuesday, and you have these games and you have missed entire spring training, then, uh, you know, I'm thinking that they're going to probably treat it almost like a uh, an NFL preseason game. Like everybody goes and you guys play the first half and then the second mm -hmm. half, you can take your shoulder pads off and put in the ear earbuds. Yeah, no kidding. Um, and there's, you know, what's crazy too is from the player's side, I would imagine there might be a few guys that are just like, I want to go. I want to go face some other pitching. I want to get out of having to face all these inter-squad games that we're playing right now. Uh, it's got to be a little uh, – groundhog day-ish like our last podcast where you just kind of wake up and you're like oh yeah COVID's still here and we still got a mask on you know what do we do next yeah uh, and trying face, to break up the monotony well and facing your own guys I mean they, they were just kept showing guys like pimping home runs off their own pitching <laughs> like you know hey this guy knows how to like flip a bat and this guy's pimping it and you know I mean they're having some fun with it and I know the pitchers are just getting work in but as you said I mean there's that fine line of like having some like you know, being able to puff out your chest and go, Hey, I'm, you know, I'm facing Garrett Cole in Yankee stadium, or I'm facing him, you know, at Tampa stadium, wherever they're holding their camp or, um, and then there's, you know, we're having a good time with it. And this is like pitchers BP kind of, uh, you know, pitchers live BP, which nobody liked in spring training. Anyway, you can attest to that. <laughs> the pitchers are trying to get work. They're throwing from behind the screen and you're trying to get swings in, but these guys are throwing 95 and you know, they're, you know, it's just, it's not necessarily the most fun, uh, way to kind of test yourself and again you don't want to get injured especially playing your own team yeah, so I think like you said point. it step up it steps up the intensity and it kind of gets the guys ready to actually play meaningful games and I think so if you I mean without having all the side information I would say most of the guys will travel and I, I would say Granky probably wants to you know get on the mound and face different a different squad that, that would be my guess yeah, and it's interesting you bring up the intensity point because that's also why you play some of these spring training or exhibition games is to get in that game flow because the speed of that game is going to be a little bit different even from an inter-squad game. Uh, you know, there's more competition. There's a little more intensity. It's, an, it's a foreign adversary that you're trying to go out and compete against. And the intensity part actually brings up a really good point because I think it plays into all sports that we're seeing right now in this COVID era is the no fans what creates intensity and it's obviously your opponent it's a rivalry it's a matchup but it's also the fans it's your home fans backing you up it's on the road where you're going to hear this booing and that's where the Astros and I get this question almost every time I do an interview whether it's in the Bay Area whether it's in New York whether it's right here in Houston with the home home group how are the Astros benefiting from not having fans in there and I believe that they are I believe that it's one less thing that they have to worry about. They know it's going to be out there on social media. They're exposing themselves in that way. Shoot, I get, an, I get, I get called a cheater just for hanging around these guys, which is hilarious to me. But at the same time, do you feel that the Astros are going to benefit, at least in this season, from not having fans out there, knowing they're going into a hostile environment every single road trip? Absolutely. I mean, how could they not? I mean, I have a feeling like fans are getting closer and closer to the players in general with social media. And it feels like they're not, um, not that they're yeah. not revered, but they're just, there's that, that closeness. I saw there was a, a 15 year old kid arrested um, or detained in, in uh, Europe for one of the uh, English premier league 
uh, with texting, he texted racist or uh, statements, racist tweets or racist statements. So, I mean, here's obviously somebody who felt like they were anonymous and they could say these things and the police came and knocked on their door. Um, Watch your ass. That's right. Watch your ass. And so, but I do, I think people feel like they can, you know, just like streaking or running on the field in the middle of a football game, like, woo, like, I mean, I think there's some uh, thrill out of that for people that regardless of the consequences, they feel like um, they can make a name for themselves or kind of upset the apple cart. And I think that uh, certainly the Astros will benefit not having hostile fans screaming at them from the top of the dugout or throwing water bottles at them or peanuts or whatever, whatever it may be. And I think within the clubhouse, as you know, some guys thrive off that uh, mentality of like, it's the world against me and That's it's truth, this man. and that. Yeah. Take and that so, for granted. Yeah. So even within the team out of the nine guys up to bat, maybe three or four of them, like Michael Brantley, for example, and I'm only, I don't know him, but from afar, it sounds like he doesn't care where he's playing or what he's doing. It sounds like he has that clear the mechanism thing. Like he is just, this is oh, what my approach is, in, man. Yeah, this is my approach. This is what I want to do. I don't know if he gets affected by 70,000 fans or two fans. I don't think he's affected. <laughs> Whereas some guys, you know, they might be batting 200, but they have a lot of um, energy momentum created or the situation heightens it and, you know, they may play better. So individually within the team, I think there's going to be some pros and cons about not having fans. But overall, as an organization and a lineup, through and through not having hostile fans in the stands, especially this year when the scandal is so fresh, I believe that they're certainly going to benefit. Yeah, I agree with you. It's just one less thing they have to worry about. I go back to, you know, the original spring training in March where we were covering games and me, TK, Julia, and our conversations with guys in the clubhouse and everybody was, how are the Astros going to handle it? How are the Astros going to handle it? Then we have the COVID break and these guys are back and they actually look different to me playing in this summer camp situation than they did in spring training, because guess what? They don't have to think about how to handle that. <laughs> it's no longer in their thought process and they can go out and play the game. Now you're going to get some heat from guys across the way in the other dugouts. Um, I would imagine there's going to be some guys popping off and things like that. But, you know, I just, I hope that, you know, there's, there's two things that can happen. They, they can either fold, well, I guess three things. I mean, if you really think about it, they could fold, not play well, and not put up the numbers, and everybody's just going to wear them out and say, oh, you need the trash can thing. Or they go out and play 500, play average, put up some decent numbers, and everybody goes, ah, see, I told you they weren't all that good. But the part of me that really hopes that they do go out there and do is just all of a sudden that chip gets a little bit bigger, and you recognize you're the villain. Be the villain. Embrace the villain. Because guess what? Teams in the past have done a very good job of being the villain. You know, the evil empire has been the Yankees for so long. And then some of the uh, 30 for 30s that we see on ESPN, one of the ones I love, the Detroit Pistons, the bad boys. Why not just go out there and be the bad boys? Just piss everybody off. <laughs> you know, I think there would be a lot of fun in going out and kind of having that mentality. I don't think that Dusty Baker's mentality is the kind of leadership to do that. But I do believe that there's enough, you know, Correa's got an interesting attitude about the whole thing. Bregman's got an interesting attitude about the whole thing. And I really feel like Altuve is a guy, kind of a guy that's got that quiet anger about him where he's not going to chirp. He's not going to get in the media. He may throw you a couple zingers every once in a while as far as, you know, quotes. But when he goes out on the field and he takes you oppo, he may, he may give you a little extra, you know, spice in that trot going around the, around the bases. And that's kind of where I hope they kind of find that niche where they can just go out there and, you know, without fans in the stand, get their shots in by going out there and playing some winning baseball. But winning, as we know, is a cure of all evil. 
Well, but you, you touched on something really. I mean, so again, having that chip on your shoulder and not having fans in the stand actually could be a strengthening environment where they're not going to be, um, you know, the, if they're playing well and they have the chip on their shoulder and everything goes well um, and they stay strong, which is what they were prepping to do the whole season anyway. They were going to like, hey, it's these 25 guys or these yeah. 30 guys. Now it's, you know, this group of guys are going to, it's us against the world. But when you don't have those reminders or Dodger fans or anybody literally in the stands, <laughs> like doing something, it might heighten that and, and make that foundation even stronger. And the thing that I have True. touched on before, and I think you've agreed with, I mean, I've been competitive my whole life. That's how we got into professional sports. You've been fairly competitive your whole life. That's how you stuck around the big leagues for as long as you did. But what, what happens is, you know, there, we all know such diversity in the clubhouse, but I mean, I look at a guy like Bregman and Correa and Altuve and Verlander. I mean, these guys, they already play with a chip on their shoulder. I mean, they, they want it. Bregman, I, I said this on this podcast, Bregman wears number two because he got drafted second in the draft. You and I yeah. got drafted in the sixth, seventh rounds. Like how many guys have to wear like I, 192? On yeah, I'd have to wear, yeah, I'd have to wear 217 on my back. Like he's wearing number two because he's upset. So again, like you said, there's three things probably that can happen, you know, fold, good, and then chip on your shoulder and really take it to another level. And I think that these guys are already competitive. We've talked about this via salaries, via everything else. I, I hope for the sake of the competitive nature of the sport, I hope the Dodgers have a chip on their shoulder for feeling like they got wronged. Me too. I hope the Astros have a chip on their shoulder because they want to prove the world wrong. And it would be great to see the Yankees and Aaron Boone and uh, the Red Sox have a chip on their shoulder because you know what that means for us? That means really good freaking baseball. And I think, I think we'll see some of that. And uh, it'll be really interesting. But I, I, I love that you brought that up. And I think you know those guys in the clubhouse certainly better than most of the fans and most of the listeners. But you know which guys are going to embrace this and step it up. And I think uh, they'll benefit not having uh, fans in the stand. We just don't know if that'll give them enough energy and enough reminder of, you know, what they're up against. Yeah. And, you know, t saying be the villain in the league, it might be a little extreme to go to that extent uh, just because uh, everybody needs that anti-hero. And it feels like the Astros have kind of filled that void of the anti-hero because, you know, it started in the front office with the analytics and then it got on the field with the way they play baseball. And then it happened with the sign stealing scandal. Now in PGA, and here it is, the Bryson DeChambeau show that I promised everybody about for the last week and a half. But there's kind of an anti-golf guy in Bryson DeChambeau. He was a guy that burst onto the scene, kind of an analytical physics, you know, cerebral guy that was out there. You know, every club is the same length. He's in, you know, he's wired up and he's got all these swing monitors that he's using. Who He's a great follow on Instagram. If you're a golfer and you just want to see a guy just try and destroy golf balls, he's a blast to watch. And he kind of came onto the scene like that. Now, all of a sudden, COVID happens. And what, what does he do? He gets in the gym. And he starts working out and puts on, what, 25, 30 pounds. And now he's out there at 240, looks like a linebacker, you know, hitting a golf ball. And he is taking some of the most malevolent hacks anybody's ever seen on a golf course. Now, if Tuttle and I go out and do that, it's swing, swing, swing. He is hitting them. He's hitting rockets right down the middle. And it's great. It's a lot of fun for me to watch him just take these whoo, hacks and then pick up his tee because I'm going, that dude knows that ball was hit about 360 right down the middle. And he's kind of overwhelming the game right now. And I want to ask you, I mean, I, I don't know how much golf you watch. I watch a lot of it, but I'm fascinated by this guy. 
because it goes against everything I've ever heard about golf. You can't overpower the game of golf. DeChambeau's kind of knocking that theory a little bit because he's crushing it. He's put up a great score since the COVID things come back. Uh, he won the uh, Rocket Mortgage Tournament, and now he's competing. And I think the Vegas odds are starting to move a little bit in his direction, even with some of these other guys. But golf has always been a controlled, tempered, strategic type game where you, you, you put it in the fairway where you want to have a great approach shot. And then you just delicately drop this thing on the green and put yourself in a good position to putt. And now he's like, dude, forget that. I'm going to tee this thing up. I'm going to cut that corner. He's moving tee boxes, it looks like, and going over the trees and cutting every corner he can. And then he has basically, you know, a, a lob wedge into every green and he's scoring. I think it's great for golf, but how do you feel about a guy like this all of a sudden who's just transformed and exploded onto the golf scene? Uh, it's, I mean, it's a great question. I, I love it personally as well. I mean, we talk about this uh, being a fan. Uh, the Maguire Sosa thing that we talked about. Most fans didn't care about the steroids. They just loved that whole show, the, you know, night in, night out, like 68, that, 69. That's, I think DeChambeau is the PGA's version of Mark Maguire, man. Yeah, I, I totally agree. But I also think he has some skill too. And, and I know because golfers a higher skill uh, type game in terms of being cerebral and thinking about the course. The other thing we should think about is tennis, your favorite sport, Blum, I know. But, you know, when we had... We had Nadal and uh, and Federer and Federer. Uh, you know I, yeah Federer. But I think about like <laughs> Pete Sampras back when I was growing up. I mean, like I've Nadal got a wins Roger Federer story by the way. Sorry. Uh, all right. Well, Nadal wins every year at the uh, clay courts at the French yeah. Open because of the, his style of play. So he slides over here and he glides over there, and that was his tournament. He would win that tournament, whereas Federer might take Wimbledon and um, the U.S. Open in that year because of his style of play. And I think we're going to see that with golf anyway. Like DeChambeau is not going to tear up every course. I mean, the Masters does not require yeah. you to hit the ball 365 over a bunch of trees. Now, if you can do that, that's great. But my analogy for uh, DeChambeau or my comp is, uh, is Dustin Johnson. Now, he had some mm -hmm. other issues when he first came on, but he was a long hitter. He crushed the ball. And in you know, he just couldn't finish around the green as putting. I remember they just kept talking year after year, like, all right, this is the year DJ's been working on his putting. And we know this with baseball. Like there's tons of pitchers that throw hard that have no idea where it's going. And then there's a lot of guys that don't throw hard enough that can spot the ball everywhere. But the big leaguer, the guy that sticks around is the guy that can kind of do both. You got to marry both of those things. And I think if DeChambeau is going to stick around just like DJ did, I mean, DJ has been a top 10 perennial golfer for the last 10 years is you got to master that short game. And what we've seen so far to start this year is the fact that they've, you know, mastered, he's kind of got both ends going. Yeah. He knows when he needs to hit it long. He knows when he can get off the gas pedal. The question I have for you related to that is I think he'll be around. I like his style. It's very intriguing for fans, mm -hmm. but there are some golfers that are succeeding right now without fans. We now have taken the fans out of it. And I'm wondering if that's actually helping and hurting some people. It's the same question you asked me about MLB, but I bet some of these guys that are cerebral and like their game and kind of want to stay in their own bubble are benefiting from the fact that there isn't a crowd roar. There isn't, you know, photographer clicking three feet behind him, which we know tiger love um, all the time. So <laughs> tell me your thoughts on somebody like that. Like, are, are we going to see kind of a rise of some guys that didn't like the mental part of having fans like peeking down, you know, the barrel of their drives or whatever. 
I would imagine. I mean, it's, I, I think it actually might have a positive effect. And I just try and think about it as, you know, as they're on the course and having been to a couple of tournaments and understanding how you react to certain situations, because, you know, when you, when they hit a bad shot, you hear, Ooh, and when they hit a great shot, you hear, yay. And you don't hear those responses. So I think you're kind of getting a, a little bit of a delayed reaction from some of these guys. Yes. They know when they pipe it, but what I'm more curious about is, you know, I was watching uh, the playoffs last week before, between Colin uh, Marikawa and Justin Thompson, Justin Thomas, and, you know, Marikawa hits one. It looks like it's a good shot, but it ends up in the, in the sand. He has no idea. Justin Thomas hits one, and it's like wide right. And he just goes, okay, it's wide right. I don't know where it is. But normally in those situations, you're going to kind of see the crowd move to where the ball is going to be, or you're going to hear him go, oh, no, he's in this tragic spot. So they don't know what they're approaching until they get to the ball, and then they can evaluate the situation. Instead of walking 300 yards going, Oh my God, where'd my ball go? How am I going to yeah. hit the shot? What have I got next? You know, there's no, there's none of that anxiety involved. Yeah. And I think once, you know, you see those guys get to a, a decisive putt that could change the game, uh, an approach shot that they desperately need to get because they just saw the other guy get two feet from the pin. You know, that's where I think the fans and that energy allows them to kind of internalize and just focus on themselves instead of, Oh my gosh, if I hit a bad shot, everybody on the planet's going to boo me or make fun of me or make a noise. And now, it, but on the other hand, when they stick a shot or they make that phenomenal putt, you want to have that fist pump moment. And <laughs> you're the only one fist pumping, man. Yeah. All I can think about from a selfish perspective is I don't have that problem. Like when I shank one, I see it. It's right over there. Yeah. It's like right there. You know, it's not like you hit one 700 yards. Like, Where's that ball? It's like, you know. Well, I hope somebody finds that. That's right. We've played before. You know, you go hunting up and you're like up at 300 yards. Like, I can't find my ball. They're like, yeah, yeah, it's way back there by the 200 sign, you know. Oh, yeah, I do. Way yeah, back that's there. so disappointing. So anyway, but that's, I, I mean, that is true. So there's no anxiety with like trying to find the ball. But there's also, gosh, you might not find your ball there as well. Do I have to hit a provisional? You know, like you said, mm -hmm. Justin Thomas is way in the right. Anyway, I mean, there, there's some definitely some challenges there. I just think, I, I, I believe, I guess, the reason I asked the question is that some of these guys are really enjoying just being out there playing with their caddy and having it, you know, be worth just as much. I mean, the pressure yeah. seems to, you know, somebody's deflated the pressure bubble a little bit because it's, yes, it's on TV, but, you know, and you're competing against your buddies, but it's probably a lot more like it was in the amateur tournaments that they played in yeah. coming up. And I bet that relaxes a bunch of these guys. Yeah, there was actually an interesting situation with DeChambeau and a cameraman who caught him snapping. I don't know if you caught any of this, but it, I, even if you didn't, I'll try and explain it a little bit. So he made a bad shot, cameraman caught him, snapped him, and, the, and he goes over to the cameraman and like unloads him. He's like, dude, you've got to cut away. You can't be showing that stuff. Now, in the cameraman's defense, what the hell else is going on? Bryson <laughs> DeChambeau is the show. So you're going to keep your camera on him as long as you can. Now, on the other hand, and Tiger Woods is coming back to play this weekend, on the other hand, when we saw Tiger snap and do things like that, it was, oh, look at the intensity. Oh, look at the competitiveness. Where it felt like DeChambeau was a little more like, oh, look at the crybaby. Look at how upset he is. He doesn't want to be on camera. But DeChambeau said, you've got to help me protect my brand. Now, ultimately, it comes down to the player, the actor, the, the whoever it is, to protect their own brand. But I, did, I do feel that Tiger gets a little more – protection of branding than DeChambeau is right now. And I don't know if there's anything behind that, but that kind of speaks to, 
you know, being followed on the course. Now you don't have the fans with their cell phone videos either. And that's something else that can come into play. We know all across the country in every avenue, but now you don't have the fans tracking every moment. Yeah, I think so to your point, I mean, again, these are just, it's not bad actors necessarily, but this is a kind of a one-off. I think with no fans on the course, um, you want to get the real reaction and all that. But I think you definitely have the ability as a cameraman to develop a relationship and trust with those guys. And why not, you know, if he's going to snap, I, I can see Bryson's point, I guess, because I think Tiger mm-hmm. would ask the same thing. Like, you know, he, he got good at snapping. He would snap later. He would snap on the way there. He, you know, he'd you know, bite his tongue or grit his teeth or throw his water bottle or whatever they would do. I mean, I don't know. I, I, I don't think there's a right or a wrong way there. It's nice that Bryson was, if you're sane enough, to go to the cameraman and say, don't cover this and you got to protect my brand, <laughs> then are you really snapping that bad? I mean, you're you kind of acting out because you're mad at yourself. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, you know, and I think, I think, I guess your question is more about Tiger versus Bryson. We know these guys are ultra competitive and maybe we just don't know that about Bryson yet. Like Tiger Woods and Michael Jordan certainly got a lot of, um, uh, leeway, I guess, to snap because, you know, the likelihood of them winning the tournament and the level of intensity, you know, there's certainly that superstar. Um, I don't know. I, we, we have to say asterisk every, uh, asterisk every, uh, podcast. So there's like an asterisk by these guys who have won championship, <laughs> like Kobe had that, you know, Jordan has that tiger gets that and bryson certainly does not have that yet and and maybe that's maybe maybe if he wins a major this year instead those things start to change a little bit but i think that there are certain entities within golf that are fearful of dechambeau setting a trend as far as the power game is concerned uh to the point where i think uh uh, there was somebody overseas in Europe that said, we're going to have to start talking to equipment companies about toning this thing down because, you know, the ball is perfectly centered. It's like a springboard. And then all of a sudden you have a club that meets the golf ball and it just mm. complete destruction as it goes, you know, flying through the air. I mean, I think we continue to expect our equipment. I mean, I, I, I heard an article the other day about a marathoner, um, uh, Kipchoge. He had those shoes built for him and there's a titanium plate in that. And he ran a sub two, two hour marathon, but they spent, you know, time trials and they had like pacers. He did the work, but he was wearing a special Nike shoe and he had uh, rabbits in front of him every mile in the 26 miles, a guy that he had to keep up with. And, you know, so some people want to diminish like what he account like, well, he, you know, he ran a two hour marathon, but he had special shoes. Try and poke holes in it, man. So, but to your point, like, are we, were going to go out? Like, I mean, I remember a couple of years ago, they came out with a club that actually had like too much flexion. Like it had a springboard oh, yeah. guys were in the ball, like 500 yards. Like, all right. <laughs> so there has to be some equipment requirements, but if everybody is allowed to lift weights and everybody's allowed to use the same equipment, then, you know, we decide what the game is. So I think that's always funny when somebody is, uh, you know, Steph Curry, right now they stop drafting centers because Steph Curry and Clay oh, Thompson yeah. can score, you know, 90 points a game from beyond the three point arc. You better be able to chase those guys around. And I think that will happen with golf and maybe Bryson DeChambeau is kind of the first guy, but we've seen the hitters getting longer and longer and longer. And what I think they'll end up doing, forget the equipment manufacturers, but let's look at, you know, they'll do course changes like they always do. Yep. You know, they'll create some more obstacles or they'll make it so that you can't just power it or they'll make the courses longer. I mean, they'll do all kinds of different things. And I think that's the best way, but we don't want to diminish, um, you know, kind of progress, progression, all these things. No, absolutely. And, 
there's a there's a guy uh, that's been trying to do this for a while. There's a CrossFitter, um, just got a lot of publicity from a bunch of Navy SEALs and some fellow CrossFitters. But he, uh, in the same day recently, I think this weekend, Saturday, ran a sub five minute mile and back squatted 500 pounds. And everybody thought that was the holy grail. Like, man, if somebody can run a sub five minute mile and back squat 500 pounds, like they're, they've got like, they've got fitness, man. They, they've got it covered. Some guy did it. Some guy did it. And it's kind of like, so what's, what's next? the next threshold, yeah. right? What, and, and we should reward that. We shouldn't try and admit, well, you know, he ran a sub minute, you know, five minute mile, but he was training for that specific, you know, it's kind of like, who cares? What, I don't care what kind of shoes he was wearing. You said you he know? couldn't and he did. Yeah, that's right. You said he couldn't and he did. And he's kind of the first guy and he's revered for it. And somebody else will do it just like the five yeah. minute mile and then the four minute mile and the two hour marathon. I mean, we could go on and on and on and on. And I think that's, you know, yes, Bryson DeChambeau is going to change the game, but Tiger changed the game as well. And, uh, and, you know, hopefully progress is a good thing. Progress is always a good thing. And we're going to progress in our podcast, buddy. It's Bleacher Blum. So you know what it's time for? <laughs> What'll Tuttle say? All right. What'll Tuttle say? We got no graphics today or anything. Maybe we'll have to get Kevin on that, right? Yeah, What'll right. Tuttle say? Whoop, whoop. Um, whoop. A short one today. I actually just thought it was funny. I got a uh, email last... I guess Monday and target everybody. I want to tell you is having a back to school sale. <laughs> I was pumped. Look, I got you. The punchline worked everybody targets offering 20% Wait, off. My, my thought was, first of all, we don't know if we're going back to school. That's great that they're offering 20% off, but what are you going to sell in the back to school sale? You should sell computers and pajamas. <laughs> Computers, because pajamas and mic webcams i mean what yeah the heck? <laughs> this is this is back to school everybody like all right your teacher and and to piggyback on that it made me think of uh my kids or my daughters i should say are in fifth grade my son had a little easier time because high school seems a little bit more like college and a little more self-sufficient as your daughters are uh in that in that category but you know was uh they had an older teacher for fifth grade a gentleman who was great he's probably 60 62 and he's like you know, Connor, Connor, please mute your microphone. Like every time I walk by the room, it was like, so anyway, Target is having a back to school sale, everybody. So um, I don't know if you're privy to that email. I can put the email in the uh, show notes if you guys want to take advantage of 20 to 25% off for back to school items. But I don't think they're going to need as many backpacks, uh, maybe not as many notebooks, probably not. Uh, I don't know, probably not a lot of things this year. And um, I'll use that to kind of transition to in California, we just did take a step backwards. 30 out of the 58 counties went back from like phase three to now phase two. So hair salons shut down again. Uh, restaurants shut down again. They still have takeout and they have outdoor seating. Um, you know, I, as I, I've said before, I heard, go uh, ahead. Go ahead. but to your back to school point, yeah. I heard LA County, San Diego County, no fall classes. I don't know what Orange I County, Orange County, where you're at, they're still talking about going back to school. So the Board of Education, which I wish I knew the hierarchy, all this stuff, the California knows Orange County Board of Education voted to go back full school, full time. Oh, but but left it up to the school districts. And I think that's why they had that vote. Right. This is yep. like the federal government saying something about covid and then each state and each governor 
and then even within that, each mayor and each Just town kind of council kind of down. deciding what they're going to do and what's appropriate for them, which honestly, I think is the best thing. I mean, you know, I live in a small community here. Our pools are open, but it's our small community. Like how we behave and how we govern that should be different mm -hmm. than how they do it in downtown Houston or how they do it in L.A. because of the, you know, the different population, but also just the different population density and the different um, effect it's having within that community. So anyway, all that to say what you said about the like um, them voting to go back to school. I think that's just basically giving each district the right to say, all right, if they want to go back full-time with masks five days a week, then they can. But to your point, I think LA and San Diego have a different thought about that. And, you know, things may change in the next two or three weeks, but uh, anyway, hopefully we can all take advantage of the back to school sales with some, uh, some substance behind it that we're all going to end up going <laughs> back to school. But I thought it was really funny to get a back to school sales sign right when we just closed down hair salons and restaurants and timing is everything we're going backwards baby so i don't know what you got out there for blum's blast i don't know if you guys are having back to school sales or if you guys are you know talking about what the future holds but uh, i'm gonna throw it over to you blummer i don't have much to be honest with you but you we you were talking about how we are competitive human beings in our environment that we grew up in so there's still a little bit little bit of that in there now i suck at golf but I love it. And I had been playing somewhat decent here in the last week or so, but Steve Sparks uh, asked me to go play in an actual tournament, uh, the world amateur golf championship, whatever the heck that is. Yeah. And I entered, I got my handicap at a 13 and I entered the tournament and I played and it was, I had a blast. It was the hottest day that I've ever been except for the time I was on the actual sun <laughs> but it was, it was warm. Uh, but I had a blast, man. I, you know, I, I went out and crushed it on the, on the, on the first nine and the back nine, I just fatigue set in and yard sailed everything and it got really ugly, but I didn't come in last. I tied for 17th when you take my handicap into account and I finished with a plus four. So I was pretty happy about that. Nice. Uh, that was a lot of fun. You but, tied for 17th out of 18. That's pretty good, man. No, yeah, there was okay. there were 19 guys, but whatever. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Oh, well. no, that's great, dude. That's awesome. Yeah. So it was a lot of fun. I think I'll, I'll try and do it again, but I think it's definitely motivated me to be a little bit better than, <laughs> than I was on that back nine. Cause I think I started the back nine, uh, 10, 11, 12. I went double, double, double. Yeah. That's and true. wow. That just kind of, well, that can wipe away everything you did on the front nine. And, and I will say did. this, my, my, uh, my daughter's been doing some soccer training with this guy, one-on-one -on -one training. And he had them run yesterday, right? 30 sprints. Like there were six of them. They would run two by two. And then you race this other person and then you do form running and then you race this person. And then he got into the technical tactical stuff. And I just watched my daughter after 15 minutes of that fall apart. Right. Cause he had them run and fatigue. And, and I relate that to anything, anything worth having and True. anything, what we learn about like, you know, yeah, you want to take some BP and get your swings ready, but you know, you were fresh and ready, hot or not. I mean, everything kind of takes some uh, some stability and some commitment and some, I guess some, I guess some longevity, right? Like to, to survive out there. Perseverance, yeah, man. Yeah, perseverance. And and it's funny how you said that. Like, I, I usually have a good nine and a bad nine. It's not always the front or the back, but when it's hot out there, you know, if you just let thoughts creep in and hey, I'm playing really well right now, and you know, but there could actually be a physical fatigue that set in as well, meaning. 
you know, it was a hundred degrees out and you're sweating bullets and, you know, you've never been in a tournament type situation. So I guess to relate that all back to what you were saying, it's, it's something to work for and your competitive juices got flowing. And now it sounds like you're motivated to, uh, to give it a whirl again. Yeah. I've got the bug a little bit. Uh, it, it was a lot of fun and, you know, getting back to the school thing and maybe something a little more serious, it just kind of popped in my head because I've got four daughters who are in high school. I've got three sophomores, a junior, they're all going into their sophomore and junior years and uh, getting back to the, you know, the, the, the school district conversation is that there's a couple of school districts around where we're at right now that have shut down sports in the fall. And volleyball, which is a predominant sport in our household, is one of those fall, you know, winter, fall sports. And my daughter, my oldest daughter, God, man, I felt terrible. She came home crying the other day. And I just, mm -hmm. I was going, what are you, what's wrong, babe? You all right? She's like, oh, I was just hanging out with my friends. We were talking. I'm okay. What are you talking about? What's going on? And she said, Fort Bend, Fort Bend School District said that they're going to shut down sports. She goes, are they going to do that in Katy? And I went, I don't, have they announced anything? She's like, no, I go, calm down, talk to the coach. The coach is going to know more than we do. But dude, this blows, man. That broke yeah. my heart knowing that you've got kids and students and athletes who are going into their junior, senior years. Like this would be a big transitional year for her to be able to go out there and play at varsity and get some time on the court and maybe expose herself to maybe a college opportunity. And here we are trying to navigate who, who knows what to yeah. try and get her on the court. I wish there was an opportunity for the high school or for not for high school, but for schools to take the approach of pro sports and say, let's play, let's give these kids the opportunity, whether or not they're in school. And I know that the NCAA is going to be in a similar situation uh, coming in the fall, but man, dude, this whole thing is so damn frustrating that we don't know how to handle it. And it feels like everybody's scared to handle it in a certain way. But man, that just kind of broke my heart. So all those athletes or any of those parents of athletes are out there, hold those kids close, continue to press upon them that they will play. I think if you don't have that mentality of I'm going to play, you're not going to be ready when you actually do play. But man, I just pray and hope that everybody is able to go out there and play. It's really frustrating to think about the fact that this virus is going to shut down, you know, some youth sports. And that would really be a detriment, not just to, to the kid itself, but to the society, because if we thrive so much on, on uh, being around people. And I know Tuttle and I can attest to the fact that being in a structured environment with sport, the discipline, the accountability, the courage to play. I mean, it's, it's made us better humans, I believe. And that's where I feel like kids get left out of the situation is because of the fear and then the lack of opportunity to go out there and become better people, better athletes, better students, man. It's just frustrating, dude. And I didn't mean to get serious all of a sudden. Sorry. No, no. Hey, what, that's what the, it's an outlet for us all. And I, and I think that, uh, I think you, your point is well taken. And, and the other, I guess the other thing I'm thinking about along those lines is, you know, it's affecting everybody like that. So, you know, when we talk about scholarships or like having an opportunity to go play in college, I mean, everybody's hit the pause button on that, but I think you're right. We have to control the controllable things. That is being ready when we're called to do our thing. And that means your daughter should still keep running and training oh, and man. doing what she can do. And, you know, they keep worrying our school system for sure. And maybe some of the coaches are, they're not as worried about our kids getting exposure, right? You sign a COVID-19 waiver and everybody yep. can get together. And if your volleyball coach is 35 or 40 and he wants to be out there, there's not, I, I don't necessarily see a problem with having them in their own little bubble um, if the yeah. coach isn't concerned about being exposed or, or taking it elsewhere, especially if, 
you know, once they leave that environment, you know, they, they treat, you know, they wear a mask in Costco and they wear a mask. So I, I saw a New York Times stat, this is going to help your argument at all, that just said, I think 42% of the COVID-19 cases are attached to nursing homes. And that's 0.6% of the population. So again, that doesn't mean we want to just say, all right, you know, this is an old person's disease. I mean, if nothing else, it'll give us a protocol or a reason to, um, you know, look to the future and how we handle these situations again, but frustrating nonetheless. And uh, I just hope the best, as you said, hold your kids close and hope, hope for the best. And hopefully they can train and, uh, and be effective as well. And that's going to do it for this episode of Bleacher Blums. We hope you enjoyed it. We tried to create as much content as we could, and I know everybody's going through the same situation. We're trying to get to the starting line. There's a lot of preparation, and baseball is just around the corner. NBA is right around the corner. Some majors coming up in the PGA and things like that. But that's going to do it. And Tuttle, you got any parting shots uh, other than the fact that you got a Gator and I don't? Yeah, I will say that the Redskins listen to this podcast. Um, I don't know if they're going to do a uh, naming campaign as we suggested, but they got rid of the Redskins name. Ooh, I just said Redskins. I might get fired for that. Um, hey, controversy gets clicks, yeah. man. Let's go. There you go. Hey, they talk about the Redskins scandal. Hey, the <laughs> scandal in D.C. now is, as you said, some some, I guess for lack of a better word, business entrepreneur nozzle went out and bought all the names, <laughs> went out and bought all the names that the Red Suits were going to use. So that's kind of funny, but at least we know they're listening to Bleacher Blums just like you are and just like you should. And uh, again, you always piggyback on this or I always piggyback on whoever gets to it first, but we want to thank the uh, first responders, healthcare workers. I mean, the progress seems slow, but as long as you stay healthy and uh, stay strong, um, we'll believe in you and we'll support you as much as we can. This gator is another little token to show that we will do what it takes to stay safe. Go ahead, Blummer. Absolutely. Everybody on the front line, healthcare, we are behind you 100%. We are not going to get through this without them and just keep up the hard work, keep grinding away. And we will do what we can to protect other people from this thing and lessen the workload, hopefully, on everybody out there. But military front uh, I almost said front office I don't mean that <laughs> military <laughs> front line uh, all the EMTs nurses policemen firemen we support you and uh, everybody make the right choice out there and make sure you get after it but most of all believe it <laughs>